So somebody once said that hurry is the death of prayer. Now, I really wanted to be able to tell you who said that, but I had a lot to do this week. I was kind of in a hurry, so. Um, Dallas Willard once said that hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. And so I, I know that sometimes prayer can feel like one of those things that, that we hurry past if we're not careful, that, that we breeze through. Um, I believe on some level every person would acknowledge that prayer is important. I think the, the struggle for us is to accurately see how valuable and how important it really is for our lives. Have, have you had this experience of at one time in your life resolving, committing, I'm going to be a person of prayer only to then find that it was a struggle? Have, have you had that experience? I hope I'm not the only one in that. I mean, the truth is, um, something as simple as talking and communing with God, and yet I have never met a person who says, you know what, I think I just pray too much. Like, that's my problem. I, I pray too much. No. And so regardless of what your past experience with prayer is like, I'm hoping that today will be an encouragement for you from the Word of God. If you have your Bible with you, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and I hope that you will open to that. This is a well-known passage uh, of, from Jesus, it's him teaching, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. That, this, this sermon that he gives actually stretches across three chapters and we're kind of looking in the middle, we're just looking at one segment today, but it's a very important teaching that, that Jesus gives us where he is revealing to us the heart of what it means to truly know God and please God. This is a prayer given for all disciples. We refer to it as the model prayer, the disciples prayer. That means it's our prayer. That means it's for us. And I'm hoping that you will see clearly today as a result of time in the word that, that, prayer, is, that prayer is more about intimacy than it is mechanics, okay? There's no secret formula. There's no script that we can use. Prayer, what God is after in prayer is relationship. He wants your heart because prayer, more than anything else, connects us to the heart of God. And so this is the word of God written in Matthew chapter six, starting in verse nine. I'm gonna read the whole passage that we're looking at together right here. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sin. And so what I want us to do is just walk through this passage together. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to leave it open. If you're taking notes, I'll give you a few things to think through, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and press upon your heart the very thing that you need to hear today so that we might, as a result of our time together, be shaped to look more like Jesus, the Son of God. Now, verse nine is where we're launching out, and it says right off the bat that this then is how you should pray. What that means for us is that, that what we have here is a how-to, it's not a what-to. It's a framework, it's not a script. Now, 
to pray these specific words, there's not a thing wrong with that at all. And if that's how you spend your prayer time, and I know that that is, can be a, such a rich and rewarding thing to pray this prayer as it is written. But that was not Jesus' intention to limit us by these words, but rather to instruct us with these words. And so there's nothing magical, there's no script. This is a framework, this is trying to teach us. And so as we build on this framework, the text goes on to say, our Father in heaven, right? Because this is a framework, we're gonna pull out these principles, and the first thing I want you to see is this. Prayer reminds us of the gospel. Prayer ought to remind us of the gospel. When we see these words right here, just look at it. No one gets to call God Father apart from the gospel. Like, you can't. We are only accepted into the family. This is familial language. We're only accepted into the family because of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel that he has made a way where we could not. We were enemies of God. Listen, I was once an enemy of God and so were you. Go read Ephesians chapter two. We were children of wrath, but because of Jesus, we've been invited into a new family. Church, we must not take for granted the beauty of this gospel message. You have been invited into the family of God. Have, have you grown numb to that beauty in your prayer life? Maybe today you need to return to the Lord and say something just as simple as, God, thank you for making a way for me to be your child. Like that is such a foundational truth for us. May we not miss that. Church, do you, do you hear what I'm saying? The creator of the universe, all powerful, we get to call him Father. Like what a gift. The Lord has been using uh, my life situation for the last nine years to open my eyes to how beautiful a gift this is. You see, for the last nine years, I've been able to be someone's father. I get to be called dad. And of all the things that I enjoy in this life, being a dad to my three girls is one of the greatest joys I've ever received. I'm not a perfect dad by any means. We're in the trenches with you, okay? But I love my kiddos. And, and being their dad brings me such joy because of the relationship. I delight in them just simply because they are my children. And I try to tell them all the time, and I don't know if it's sinking in, but I try to tell them, listen, I don't know if you understand this. There are only three people on the entire planet who get to call me dad. Hannah, Adeline, and Chelsea Kate. And uh, we're new here. Some people say, hey, what should we call you? It's not dad. <laughs> okay? Some people call me Adam. Some people call me pastor. The people who call for the car warranty, they always ask for Mr. Brock. They always have my number. I'm not sure how. But I just try to tell them, like, hey, do you realize, like, only you get to call me this. In church, only through Jesus do we get to come to the creator of the universe and say, Father, our Father. We don't need to miss how special that is and what a gift it is. It's the best news that we could ever receive. Now, the next phrase in that same verse is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Did, did anybody use the word hallowed this week? Did you work that into conversation? Like, maybe not, that's okay. Um, but here's what I want us to see. Prayer helps us to think rightly about God. It helps us to think rightly about God. This word hallowed means set apart or make holy. Now when you're praying, that doesn't make God holy or make him more holy. What it does is it acknowledges his holiness. 
It brings us up to where he is so that we might say, you are holy and I am not. The fact that God is holy means that his ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. What it means for us is that on my best day, on your best day, we don't come close to to measuring up to his standard of perfection. But through prayer, we get to draw the seat to the table and say, God, you are holy. Now, through uh, through prayer, we have the chance to be reminded of this. Through prayer, we have the chance to be reminded of what is true. And so I'm gonna try to illustrate this today. Right here. I hope this works. That was a pity clap. Thank you. But thank you for it anyway. Um, in this illustration, well, here's all I'm trying to do. Is I'm trying to say that this is your view of God. That's what this represents. Now, I tied it off, and let's just say, let's say I put it right here. And we left it right there. I may kick it here in a moment, so I'm making sure. Let's say we left it right there for the next eight weeks. You know, next Sunday, it's probably gonna still retain its spherical orange glory and, you know, look just as pretty as it is right here. But what's gonna happen over time? You've seen it. It's just gonna shrivel up. It's gonna deflate. It's gonna grow smaller. What I'm trying to say this morning is through prayer, we have the chance to come and to refocus and remind ourselves about who God is so that our view of God doesn't shrink. Because your view of God is either going to be increasing through time spent in prayer, time spent in the word, time spent being intentional about spiritual growth, or it's gonna shrink because we choose to be passive. If we do nothing, it will shrink. The same is true for your view of God. And from the very beginning, our enemy has come and his tactic is very simple. He whispers lies to get you to believe things that are not true about God. Therefore, We pray and we come, and it's very important that you come to prayer with an open Bible because it is prayer and scripture that together teach us what is true, what is right about our Heavenly Father. You remember last week, if you were here, we talked about how so very often our prayers lack depth because we neglect the scripture. And so together, what I'm trying to say is these things will help us, will enable us to moment by moment be intentional about thinking rightly about God so that our view continues to grow. We pray so that we can breathe fresh oxygen into our view of God so that we might join the heavenly host in saying, holy, holy, holy. Like that's our job, but we get so, this is me too, we're all in this together. We get so distracted by the things of life that without even knowing it, our view of God begins to diminish. And he says, come back to me. Remember, I'm your father Remember who I am, I am holy, and let's let that view continue to grow. This is what prayer does. It realigns our thinking with what is true and right about God. Now look at verse 10. The text goes on and it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
What I want you to, to know here, I believe the principle is this, is that prayer invites God's rule and God's reign into my life. When we spend time in intentional prayer, we have the chance to enthrone God in our hearts. You see, the right response for me when I truly begin to wrap my head around the fact that he is my father, that we are in the family, that I've been accepted through Christ, and that he is holy, is your will be done. Like that's the natural progression. God, it's your will, whatever you want to do. And I think it's very important that we remember that what Jesus is doing here is not some theoretical exercise. This is not an academic class where he's just talking about abstract ideas. No, this is something that he wants us to actually do actually put into practice, and he modeled it for us through his life. In Matthew 26, you'll find him praying, and this is before the crucifixion, and in verse 39 it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He prays the same thing again in verse 42. This is the example of our Savior, that through prayer, we have the chance to submit ourselves to the rule and the reign of God our Father. This is the example that we've been given. John Stott once said that every true prayer is just a variation on the theme, thy will be done. Because that's what needs to motivate our prayer. The, the next phrase in that is, on earth as it is in heaven, right? Prayer teaches us to desire his kingdom purposes. That's what I want you to write down. That's what I want you to know. If we're thinking rightly about God, if we're responding to him appropriately, if we are choosing his rule and his reign, then what's gonna happen is we're gonna begin to long for the things of God. We're gonna begin to long for his kingdom to grow and not my kingdom, for his kingdom to go forth and for his purposes to be accomplished. A couple weeks ago, we, we looked at that together. What is our purpose? What is God's kingdom objective? It is that we would make disciples of all nations. That is our mission, church, and prayer is the thing that motivates us to live on that mission. If you want to live a missionary life, it starts by praying missionary prayers. We are called to both talk to people about God, but talk to God about people. I think it's all connected, and in this way, if we are intentional about this, what we will find is our prayer begins to order our steps as we desire his kingdom and not our own. Pressing on, verse 11, it says, give us today our daily bread. You see, prayer is how we invite God into our most basic of needs. You see, what happens is a lot of times people wanna say things like, you know, God is the boss, but I'm kinda like a co-boss. Like, we're like co-managers here. Like, he handles the big picture stuff and I do the day-to-day -day things, right? That's not at all how our life is supposed to happen, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to trust him. And so the question is, are you willing to trust God with everything, whether it be big or small? Do you trust him, or do you spend countless amounts of time and effort and energy trying to micromanage the way that you think your life should go? Jesus is saying that prayer should enable us to trust God instead of worrying. Church, I'm so thankful that the Bible doesn't just say, hey, you should not worry, and then also best of luck. Like, that's it. No, it says, what does is, what is Paul write? That you, instead of worrying, you pray. 
that you get to have this holy exchange of you give God your worry through prayer and he gives you peace. Because this is such a gift for us. You can write this down if you'd like. If it's enough to worry about, it's enough to pray about. Absolutely. Do, you, do we have any like really great worriers in the room? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. We have the chance through prayer to slowly and surely release that to the Lord so that we might trust him in all things and in all ways. Now verse 12 continues and says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is so important, church. Prayer helps us to keep our spiritual family healthy. You've heard that phrase before, right? That we're a family, right? This is a spiritual family. Sometimes that's for better or worse, right? Like with everything that that means, we are family. And one of the main purposes, one of the main things that comes out of a vibrant prayer life is a desire and an intention to seek the good of the family and the health of the family. When we pray in this way, we are reminded that forgiveness matters and it matters as it relates to one another. You see, my relationship with God and my relationship with people somehow in God's economy is linked. Let me illustrate it like this. If one of my daughters, I've already talked about them a lot, but if one of those three came to me and said, I am so mad, I don't even wanna, and I'm mad at my sister, and I don't even wanna be near them. If they said that, that would not only hurt their relationship, but it would compromise their relationship with me. Because to be near the sister is also to be near the father. When we sit at the dinner table, if one of them said, I can't even come because I don't wanna be near them, then that would compromise their nearness with me. Is this making sense? Is this clicking? We cannot look at God and say, God, thank you so much for forgiving me the eternal weight of my sin, accomplishing what I could have never accomplished, and washing me clean, but me forgiving them, yeah, that's too much. That's where I draw the line. We've got to realize that forgiveness is a gift that we've been given, and it's a gift that we are called to show forth. And listen, I'm not trying to say that any of that's easy, but that's the task that we engage in with prayer. To say it simply, I don't know how you could hate somebody if you're truly praying for them, okay? Now, to pray for them doesn't mean that you pray that they would fall down the stairs or anything like that. You gotta pray for their good and, and truly pray for them. And I'm telling you, it has a way of protecting the spiritual health of our family. Verse 13 says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Church, prayer is how we walk in victory. I want you to know that. I want us to believe that. That through prayer, we can find victory to live our day-to-day -day life. We ought to pray that as trials and temptations enter into our life, that God would help us, enable us, empower us to cling to him so that those temptations don't overtake us. Now there's a lot here and a lot that we need to understand. The book of James teaches us that God doesn't actually tempt us, but rather we are tempted by our own sinful hearts. That same book also tells us that God allows us to be in situations where testing occurs. This is a part of what it means to follow Christ. Jesus himself was tempted. You can read about it in Matthew chapter four, right before this passage. The spirit leads him into the wilderness, and yet he doesn't sin. 
He does not fall to temptation. The life of Jesus in this way is such a picture and example for us. Back in Matthew 26, this is what uh, verses 40 and 41 says. It says, then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Remember, this is right before he goes to the cross. He asks his closest friends, would you pray for me and with me? He comes and he says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. There is this this, this spiritual thing that, that prayer and victory are linked. Our prayer here from Matthew 6 should be, God, keep us from failing. Keep us from, from thinking that we can accomplish it in our own strength. God, forgive us for trying to do it on our own. Uh, Pastor Kent Hughes, I'm just gonna read it to you. It's a great quote. He says, the answer is that God is the difference between victory and defeat. And it is by prayer that we depend on him to win the battle. The victory depends on prayer because ultimately the victory depends on God. I think he's absolutely right there. Church, may we never forget that we are in the middle of a spiritual battle. We have a real enemy. You need to hear this, this is not a joke. There is a legitimate, enemy who desires nothing more than to destroy your life. There is a spiritual enemy who wants nothing more than to destroy this church. Magnolia's First Baptist Church has an enemy that right now wants to destroy us. Why? Because God is doing something amazing right here. That God, is gospel, his gospel is going forth. We, we've celebrated baptisms and all these different things. And listen, we take no credit for it. It's all because God is moving. And I want you to know, this is why we must pray because we are very much in the middle of a battle. We have the opportunity before us to be light and to be truth to a community that desperately needs it. And, and let me just say this. You may not even be thinking it, but I just, I just wanna address it since I'm new, okay? When I say God's doing something great here, I promise you, I don't mean bringing me here because I have nothing to do with this. I, I am not the cause of it. I can't sustain it. It's not about me. When I say God is doing something amazing, I believe it's because he has assembled this group right here and he desires to do something incredible through this group right here, not because y'all are great, but because the gospel is great. And if he uses us, then this whole area can be transformed for the good of his kingdom. And so church, that's, I'm here because I wanna be a part of that with you. But that means we've got to pray like our lives depend on it. Like we are in the middle of a battle. We must pray in this way. Now let's, let's finish with verses 14 and 15. Oh, but here's the good news. The spiritual battle, the war's actually already been won. Christ has the victory, and he's placed us here so that we might walk in it. So verse 14 says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's a lot there. <laughs> these, are, these are strong words, right? I believe that what we need to hear is this is that prayer should remind us of the importance of community. That community is absolutely 100% vital for our success in the Christian life. That what we're doing right here, we've got to do it together. We don't forgive 
so that we can earn God's attention. We don't forgive people to earn God's affection or his favor. I don't believe that that's what this teaching is saying. We forgive so that we don't interrupt our fellowship, so that we don't shoot ourselves in the foot. Is that the best way to say that? Listen, we must pray in a way that that helps us to maintain community and unity and mission. Now, here's what I wanna do. Think, Think about this whole prayer with me, okay? We said it's a framework. If you have your Bible open, you can scan back through it with me. Notice that the first part, it says, your kingdom, your will, your name. It doesn't say my kingdom. It doesn't say my will, it doesn't say my name. And then in the second part, he moves on and he says, give us, forgive us, lead us. You know what this prayer is missing? Any hint of selfishness. Like there's none. It's all about God and it's for others. And that is the framework that God desires for, for us to use in prayer. That it would be about him and it would be about the good of those around us. It's not my father, give me my bread, forgive my sin, lead me, deliver me, and best of luck to those other jokers, right? No, this teaches us that prayer needs to be personal and communal. The focus isn't on me and the application isn't for me. We must pray in a way that builds community and maintains the fellowship of what we have right here at church. One of the biggest blessings that I have received, because I am new, uh, having arrived, is the many, many assurances that I've received from people who come up and they say, man, we've been praying for you. And I say, thank you, please don't stop. And I mean that. And if I haven't had a chance to say it to you individually, hear me now, thank you for praying for us. Thank you for receiving my family warmly. Thank you for being kind and encouraging to us. But don't stop praying now. We must continue. I'm very excited about what the next chapter is gonna look like right here for us all together. But we must pray. We must depend on prayer like our very lives matter. Listen, the truth is, without him, We can't and we won't, plain and simple. But guys, if we commit ourselves to seeking after the Lord, I believe that he has uniquely positioned us to see a movement of God that transforms people's lives. And so as people have said that they would like to pray for me, um, I would like to give you two things that I would encourage you to please pray for me, okay? Ways that you can pray for me. And I'm serious about this. Every single day, please pray for your pastor these two things. Pray that I don't mess up and pray that I don't miss God. That's it. I don't wanna mess up. And there's a number of categories that that could look like. I don't wanna do that. And I don't wanna miss God. I don't wanna mislead the people. I don't wanna miss where he's headed. I don't wanna miss his voice. And so pray those two things for me every single day is my request, is my plea to you. Those two categories will derail a pastor faster and more tragically than anything else um, period. And so pray. Pray for me. Pray for the staff. Pray for the ministry of this church. Pray for the vision of this church. Pray for the finances of this church. Pray for the building. Pray for the people. Pray for all the volunteers. And pray for those who are not yet here, who God desires to reach. 
Guys, we have a mission before us, and the only way that we will be successful is if we look back and say, God moved, and it was because of him. And so, church, we need to pray. And so I don't know how else to close the service. (laughs) But to invite you to pray and to call for prayer. And so the team's gonna come and lead us. This is our time of response. Listen, we're serious about this. I, I know this may sound very rote, but listen. You can email us. You can go on our website. You can walk down to the hospitality room. There'll be deacons up here and down there that wanna pray for you. I'll be right here. Because we're not perfect people, but God has called us to pray for one another. So whatever it is that you've walked in the room with, would you give us the opportunity to go to the Lord on your behalf? Would you let us know how we can partner with you in prayer? And if you have walked into the room today and you know in your heart that you have never responded to the invitation of Jesus to be a part of his family, then everything we just talked about is really of no benefit to you because prayer is a family activity. It's something that God gives his children. But the good news is, because of Christ, who he is and what he has accomplished, it doesn't matter who you are. You can walk straight to him, ask him for forgiveness, place your faith in him, and he will welcome you into the family. And so if you're here today and you know and God, God is speaking to my heart. I'm not sure what that means. Would you come down and let us know that? Would you let us have a conversation with you so that we might help you take your next step of faith? Whatever that looks like, you don't have to take it alone. Because so I'm gonna pray, and then Dalton will dismiss us after a time. But listen, this is a time we can sing, we can pray, you can move. Just remember this. At the end of my prayers, I often say amen, you do too. That's a good thing, that's not wrong. Dalton's gonna pray, say amen, and say you're dismissed. That's a good thing, he's not wrong. But that's just the end of this service, and it's the beginning of our mission. When we dismiss, that's a sending of Magnolias first to be a people who live this out and put it into practice. That will be the true measure of whether this sermon, this message, the scripture has made a difference in our lives. So let's pray. Father, we desire to be a people totally consumed with you. Father, I pray that you would use even this moment right now to begin to soften our hearts so that you might challenge us, so that you might change us, so that you might encourage us. And Father, ultimately, so that you might send us so that we might be a people who don't just talk about prayer but actually live it. Father, use us to change the lives of your children who are still on the outside, who still are lost. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just have your way among us. Help us to look more like Jesus this week and to encourage each other as we do it. Father, all of this is for you and it's because of you. And so we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.